Well, we've come a little ways now through the book of Job. Uh, we have seen um, some uh, different things, obviously, in relation to his life or the challenges that God has allowed to take place. We have his friends who have um, come to supposedly comfort him and have done an awful job doing that. And last week, we saw Zophar take his shot at uh, comforting Job, which again was not good. Um, that is his third friend. And as Job's testing became steadily more difficult and his situation grew progressively worse, Job's friends actually grew less compassionate and more judgmental toward him. We also summarized the approaches that they took to explain and defend the system or the accepted religious beliefs of the day. If you remember that word, that phrase, the system, we kind of got that from one of the commentators I've been reading, uh, Christopher Ash, and uh, that's kind of how he labeled it. And we have multiple systems today, okay? But whatever system we're in, uh, we need to make sure that it's the right one because there's, there's lots of other ones out there. But this was the going um, beliefs of the day as far as who God was and how he operated. And so what I want to do is just to, uh, illustrate that a little bit to kind of have that fresh in our minds as we considered, okay, what is this system all about? Eliphaz was the experientialist, and we're just going to go through this briefly, quickly, but, but again, re as a reminder, in verses four through, uh, I'm sorry, seven through nine of chapter four, he says, "Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? See, see those superlatives we call those, right? Ever has this ever happened, right? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of His anger they are consumed. So that's that's um, Eliphaz's take on it." And then we see what Bildad said, and he was more of the traditionalist, right? He says, For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday, and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you? Well, who's the they? That's our forefathers. That's our traditions. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? So that's where he was coming from. And then we see Zophar he was more the legalist, the rule follower. And he says, If you put far away the evil of your hands and let no wrongdoing have a place in your tent, then truly your face will be lifted up with no mark of sin, and you'll be fixed in your place without fear. So this was where they were coming from when it came to the system. This, the same religious beliefs that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, right? And, and that's absolute, but a little bit different take on it. Same belief system, a little bit different spin. And that's what they came to Job with multiple times, obviously. But then we also saw that there was the attitude that Job's friends had, right? Here's, here's uh, Eliphaz. If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? There's this, there's this gentle slide in. Are you okay? Can I, can I speak? I had to speak, but are you going to take this all right? Then we have Eliphaz. Remember now, I'm sorry. I'm going to do this. Yes. Then he says this. Remember now, 
Whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Eliphaz also says, remember now who... Uh, i got some problem here. Oh, oh, there it is, sorry. I'm messing up on my own slides. The second part there, I, I was looking at the top. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. So it doesn't last very long where Eliphaz is, is um, gentle. Do you notice? He says, hey, this stuff just doesn't come from nowhere. There's a reason for this. We can look around experientially. We can see life. And you got a problem, Job. Well, then there's Bildad. How long will you say these things, and how long will the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? <laughs> nice lead-in, right? <laughs> nice thing for, for Bildad to say. Hey, hey, you windbag. Right? How long do we have to listen to this? But then look at what he says as he continues. If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. So now he's saying, your, your children, they died because of wrongdoing. And then he adds, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would await for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Right? Because good things happen to good people. Now, we think that was bad. Well, here comes Zophar, right? <laughs> he's, now, again, in all fairness to Zophar, if they're sticking with this system, right, it's continuing. They're, they're kind of having this argument back and forth. And now, twice now, friends have said something to Job. They tried to intervene, and he's not listening. He's defending himself. And so Zophar is now very sharp. Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke it? See, now we've got in there, you're saying the wrong things. It's not just, it's not just you're in the wrong place. Now you, you're making a mockery, right? Again, he goes on. Now, this is kind of a setup verse, okay? But it says, for you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. So he's, he's kind of summarizing what Job is saying. He said, you've said, you know the truth and you're doing the right thing, all right? Know, therefore, that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. Job, your punishment, and we know how awful and terrible his experiences were, but he says your punishment is less than what you really should be getting. Consider yourself fortunate. <laughs> and then he says, for he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. Now, just in case you don't understand that, when a donkey gives birth to a man, then you're going to be wise. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, I just, it, it's a little cold out, right? Doesn't this just give you the warm fuzzies? It's the one big hug, right? This is what's happening here, right? Not, not so. Okay. So this is what they believe. And this is their attitude toward Job. So today we're going to see Job, he, that he gave a very strong response to his friends about their first round of, his, of their comforting advice. As he explained at the beginning of our study, as we explained that, Job was written as a poem. So we're not going to be able to dive into every verse and every term, but we're going to be bringing basically the, 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 um, 
the principles from these things because there's just a lot of ground to cover and that's the balance that we're seeking to to have here so what i want to do is before we look at your wisdom is not superior i want to read for you uh, starting in chapter 12 uh, basically just read the chapter and this is just going to have it fresh in our minds and then we're going to go through this in sections and we'll we'll have that highlighted so it says in your scriptures there, Job chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. For I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? I am one mocked by his friends, who called on God, and he answered him, the just and blameless, who was laughed to scorn. A lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. Now, let me just mention this. In different, there's probably different translations out there that you're looking at. Um, there's there's a, a lot of variableness here as far as how these scriptures are divided. So, you know, how I have it up here is how we're going to go with. But the divisions, you know, they're, they're a little malleable here okay so anyway getting in verse 7 now but now ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the air and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you and the fish of the sea will explain it to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the lord has done this in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind does not the ear test words and the mouth taste its food wisdom is with aged men and with length of days understanding with him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks one thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the water, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. So as we consider these things, I want to now get into this text as we, as we see um, what Job declares to his friends as he now really confronts them. Even though Job is responding to Zophar, he's responding to all three of the friends. Right? You can see that he's kind of grouping them together. He made it very clear that he was offended by their advice. And folks, sometimes it's okay to tell somebody, you've offended me. Right? How we do that right, is important, but he was offended. So Job is telling them, you are superior. You are the elites. Right? That's, that's this idea behind you people. That's not just, hey, you know, you common folk. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're the elite ones. You're the superior ones. And he's being sarcastic. All right? And what does he say after that? It can, his sarcasm continues when he says that wisdom will simply end when you die. Right? 
There'll be no wisdom left on the earth when you're gone because you guys are great, okay? He then brings them to reality and says, you haven't said anything to me that I don't already know. Now think about it. They've acknowledged, um, Eliphaz in particular, that Job has helped other people, that he is a wise man. But they're not treating him that way. And that treating, they're not treating him that way because he doesn't fit. He doesn't fit into their human thinking-based system. As a matter of fact, Job, Job goes on to say, if you just kind of follow along in the passage, your fancy speeches are no more than common knowledge. Have you ever had someone try to pass off common knowledge as something deeply insightful? It's kind of irritating, actually, and maybe even a little bit um, harmful. Maybe they throw a few fancy words in to make it sound sophisticated. But really, it's like, yeah, that's like everybody knows that. <laughs> you sound smart, but not so much. That's what Job is telling his friends. He shares from his heart that he has become a joke to his friends. And really, he's referring to all those that he would have considered friends. It's not just these three. So because of what has happened to him, people look at him in derision. They look down at him. Now, verses 4 and 5 are a little bit harder to understand just because of some terminology and maybe how things are sandwiched together. In verse 4, Job is referring to himself. He's calling himself a just and blameless person. But he says that he's mocked and ridiculed. But in the middle of that verse, what does he say? He says, he says that he's called on God and God has answered him. It might seem a little out of place, but what Job is telling them here is, I have a close relationship with the Lord. So even though you're treating me the way you are, my relationship is still right with God. Then in verse 5, the New King James uses the word lamp in the beginning of the verse. And if you have a study Bible, there's probably a little uh, marker next to that, which gives you an alternate term. And that's because it, it wasn't really the best translation. It's not a, not a terrible thing or whatever, but basically the ancient Hebrew was just written from, from right to left in just cons uh, uh, consecutive letters. Like there's no break in the letters. So if you read it, you'd have to peel out, piece out the, the words. And they knew how to do that. For us, that'd be a little more confusing, right? It would, it would be harder for us to follow something like that, but that's how they wrote back then. And so what basically happened was, is just, just that little set of letters that spelled out lamp in Hebrew, if it's just taken out and pieced together a little bit differently, just those letters, it really comes out as disaster, Okay. So if we kind of look at that passage for a minute, he says here, um, a lamp is despised in the thought of one who is at ease. What it's really saying is those who are at ease, at ease, right, look down on disaster. They look down on those who are experiencing difficult times. Isn't that true? When things are going right with us and somebody else is having a train wreck, it's like, oh, too bad for them, you know? They, they should have made better choices. Now, I'm not talking about some things, but certain things, we, we basically kind of look at them and say, they must be doing something wrong. Right? So I'm, I'm doing good because life is easy for me right now. 
there is not so good, they must have done something bad. See, we, we have a tendency to look at things that way. The verse adds that disaster itself is just waiting for a person to slip and fall. Now, again, this is poetry, so he's almost given life. The author has almost given life to disaster. Like disaster is just waiting. Come on, come on. But think about it. That, that's a picturesque way of saying that, boy, any of us can just there can be the opportunity for us to, to mess up somehow. And it might not be something that we intended to do. I might have shared this illustration before, but I'm, as a pastor, I'm self-employed. Okay, you say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? We employ you. Yes, you do. But as far as tax purposes are concerned, I'm self-employed. Well, early on in our ministry uh, time, I, um, I calculated things wrong to the thousands of dollars. <laughs> and so come January, not only do I owe more or owe money that I thought I had already paid properly, I now had penalties on top of that. And oh, by the way, I had my first quarter that I had to pay against that. You want to talk about fear, all right? So our lifestyle changed drastically from December, Merry Christmas, <laughs> to, to, uh, to January, Happy New Year, right? You know, that's pretty much what happened. And so, you know, it's not always intended is what I'm getting at. But that was... In our, in our view, a disaster, right? So disaster is just waiting. So Job ends the section of verse 6 by observing that there are wicked people who actually prosper contrary to the beliefs of the day. And folks, come on, we, we know that. We know that to take place. As a matter of fact, Job goes on, eventually... There it is. Uh, and he basically says that creation refutes you. Uh, that's, that's my title, giving this a, a section here. But in Job chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, we've, we've read this. But 7 through 10 is a beautiful, beautifully written section where Job uses the creation, created world to refute the shallow so-called wisdom of the day. He contends that the created world understands, and again, this is kind of giving it's personifying, it's giving life to, um, you know, feelings to creation. But so it's kind of a so to speak thing that uh, the strong overcome the weak. Whether we're talking about land, sea, or air, we can all give examples of what seems like the cruel realities of the animal world. Am I right? We all like nature shows until the cheetahs are really, really close to the antelopes. And then it's like, no, no, no. All right. As a rule, the bigger, stronger, faster eat the smaller, weaker, slower, or the unsuspecting. And that's what happens. And that's what Job is saying. He said, even the created world tells you that what you're saying is wrong. Because we all know that that nice, good, cute little chickadee should not be eaten by the Cooper's hawk. Right? Or getting back to, you know, the, 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 the lion or the tiger going after, you know, that, that beautiful, majestic, you know, animal. Job says they all know that God has determined this. 
And this, part of the, this is part of the consequences that God determined for creation when Adam and Eve fell and brought sin into the world. It's just a reality. It's a reality of life. And so even the most basic things around us tell us it's not so cut and dry. Job illustrates with our bodies that just as an ear understands words and the mouth determines what something is by how it tastes, the wise can see the difference between foolishness and wisdom. But there's also one little side note we need to make in this section. It's interesting that the name for God, Jehovah, is used 31 times in the book of Job. But only one time is it used during these many chapters as he converses with his friends. And it's right here. What we need to understand is the rest of the chapter uses pronouns, he, him, that type of thing, for the Lord, which means that everything following this up to the end of this chapter refers back to Jehovah. Well, who are we talking about? Why is his name used? He's the self-existent one, the all-powerful one who rules and reigns over all things. And so this is what Job is inserting here. He's saying, hey, the self-existent one is the one who is revealing to us this is the way the created world works. And oh, by the way, there's more to come. Which brings us to God's ways correct you. Now, we've already seen part of that. But we're going to highlight three different aspects of God's sovereignty here in verses 13 through 16 in chapter 12. He gives more of a broader picture. Okay, and again, just follow along in your word as we go down through here in 13 through 16. He says, God is the one who is all wise and all powerful. Now, this is important because what he's really saying is this. God knows what to do absolutely. Knows how to do things properly, absolutely, and also has the strength to absolutely do it. All right? Now, unlike us, right, when we walk into a situation and we see a problem and we know exactly how to solve it, because we always know better than the problem solvers around us, right, we don't always have the power to do something about it. So we would like to tell our bosses how to really get the job done right, but we don't have that power. You can see I'm being a little facetious there, right? But of course that gets flipped on its ear where sometimes the bosses are basically telling the employees, hey, this is how you're supposed to do your job. And sometimes they're kind of out of their element, right? Now, of course, they have the power to do it, but maybe not the wisdom to do it. <laughs> So, so here's the deal. God has both in everything, in all things. Not just what we've just referred to, but now coming up with the things that we're going to be talking about. So Job says that God can do what he wants, when he wants to do it, and no one can do anything about it. So this is a kind of an intro to the rest of what he says. In verse 17, Job gets more specific about people in various positions. And so if you kind of, again, look at this next section a little bit. He frustrates counselors and judges. 
Now, I would label those the intellectually powerful, right? Counselors and judges, the intellectually powerful. We have those among us, don't we? Those people who are in power, and it's based upon their knowledge, and it's based upon their counsel. It all says that he brings down princes and kings, uh, or, or raises them up, but that's the politically powerful. Have you been affected by the politically powerful? Yeah. Kind of mixed in here, it also says that he overthrows influential people. And I would call them more like socially or economically powerful, right? So in reality, what Job does very nicely and succinctly is he kind of covers anybody who has real authority in this world. And what it basically says is their authority is on borrowed time. And if God wants to do something, he can do it if he wants. And no one's going to stop him. And by the way, he doesn't just necessarily want to, he does it. All right? So whether we talk about the intellectually powerful, politically powerful, or the socioeconomic power structure, right, they're really in God's hands. So that kind of gets down to the little more specific, almost individual basis. And then he goes back to the bigger picture in verse 22 and describes how the Lord even deals with people, groups, as he pleases. He builds up nations and he brings them down. We see that, don't we? You know, I, I have a, a little bit of it, and I, I can't prove this, okay? There's no Bible verse specific for this. But I believe, for example, that um, really, if you think about it, World War II, World War, took place to provide the opportunity for God to bring Israel into existence. I mean, think about that for a minute. What would have had to have happened for a people group that really most of the world looked down upon, including most of Europe, including, at the time, most of America? And then all of a sudden, after World War II, they're given a country? Well, the British happened to be the ones controlling Palestine at the time. That's what it was called. And they were part of the winners. And what happened to the Jews during World War II? You see where we're going with that. So God's geopolitical, you know, might, all that took place so that he could bring his people back to his land. That's pretty wild, isn't it? What I want to do now is move into chapter 13. And so we're going to read that part and we're going to look at uh, Job now talking more directly with his friends. And we're going to just read down through verse uh, 19. The rest of this, of chapter 13 and, verse four, and chapter 14, we'll save for next week. He says in chapter 13, Behold, my eye has seen all this, my ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak as the Almighty, to the Almighty, sorry, and I desire to reason with God. For you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning, and heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? 
Will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he searches you out? Or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely reprove you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let, then let come on what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. For hypocrite could not come before him. Listen diligently to my speech and, do, and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I will perish. If I don't speak, I'm going to die. So Job begins this section by repeating to his friends that his wisdom is not inferior to theirs. As a matter of fact, he even says, I am not inferior to you, right? Instead, he asks for an audience with God because of their terrible attempts to comfort him. They became accusers rather than doctors. Let's take this analogy a little bit further. Imagine being attacked, physically attacked, then hauled into the emergency room. The doctor looks at the stab wounds in your gut and begins to tell you all the different ways that you deserve to be stabbed. <laughs> That's what's going on with Job. You know, I see these holes, these puncture mark stuff. What did you do wrong? Right? Let, let me just, you know, let me give you my prognosis here, right? Instead of fixing you. Job described the counsel of his friends. He says, you have created lies about me and the Lord. Your attempts to help me have been worthless. You just need to be quiet. <laughs> okay, now, nobody likes to get shushed, right? Don't you shush me. But Job has been taking this now for several chapters as far as how we're looking at it. And he, he's had enough. He says, you guys just need to be quiet. Based upon their terrible attempt at friendship, Job asked them a series of questions. And he asked, verse 7, Are you going to continue to hold to the things you said that were wrong about God? Are you going to hang on to that? Verse 8, Will you side with God to the point that you're unfair to me? That's that idea of showing partiality. It's not saying... I'm going to defend God in an appropriate way. What it's saying is this. I've been telling you that I haven't done anything wrong. And what you're doing is, is you're saying, I'm siding with God. I'm not really going to look at your life. I'm going to, I'm going to cast judgment on you just because I'm siding with God. That's not fair. That's not right. That is not impartial. Because in their mind... God is right. God is just for punishing him. There has to be something there. And we know that they've even said a few things that are there that really aren't there. There's not really evidence. And then in verses 9 through 11, how do you think it will go for you when he examines you? <laughs> Don't you know that facing him is going to be a terrifying experience for you? I mean, you know, Job's unloading, right? 
you know, you, you, you keep attacking me with all these accusations, you know, and, and, and again, I'm just telling you what they have said and kind of putting these in Job's, these words in Job's mouth. You've attacked my character. You've attacked my judgment. You, you've, you've attacked, you know, uh, what I do and how I treat people. You've even attacked my family in all of this. You've, you've done this, this pseudo siding with God to where you look good because of my circumstances and say, there's something wrong with you, right? But in all of this, don't you understand that you're going to be judged by what you're doing? You know, you're concerned about me being judged for what you say I have done. You're going to be judged for what you're doing as well. How do you think you're going to fare? <laughs> and by the way, uh, I don't think he feels like they're going to fare so well. But check out how he finishes this section. And I want to read for you uh, verse 12 here. Just one more time. Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes, and your defenses are defenses of clay. Folks, I don't believe that Job said this by accident. So think about it for a moment. We can picture Job reaching by his side, grabbing a handful of ashes, because that's what he was sitting on. The ashes start to fall through his fingers and the breeze carries the ashes away. And Job says, do you see these ashes? That's what your words are like. That's a slam, folks. And then he picks up a broken piece of pottery, the same pieces that he's been scraping his wounds with possibly. And he snaps one in two and he says, that's how strong your defenses are for what you believe. I, I don't know in all of Scripture any more powerful word um, uh, description uh, of, of, of what's going on that, that, that someone can use, right? Where he's literally just, you know, a skeleton of himself in horrible pain, um, you know, has all these sores all over him. He's being accosted by his friends verbally, and he picks up the ashes that he's sitting on, and he says, see that? That's your advice. And you see this? Snap. That's how strong of an argument you're making to me. Wow. So we have two very different sides here, don't we? We have the tradition. We have the rules. We have all these experiences that support, air quotes, <laughs> that God loves those who are doing good and therefore good things happen to them and God is against and judges immediately it takes place that they're not going to get away with anything he judges those who are doing wrongly and they are punished they're cursed so bad things happen to bad people and then we have Job saying, I'm a blameless person and I'm under this hand of God that I don't understand. Folks, this next part, I, I was so excited about this message. Um, and I don't know where you've been on this, but you know, it's, it's wearing on me a little bit. So it, it might be you as well, but I think that's by design. 
And I think that might be one of the reasons why many times speakers don't go through this because it's a tedious process. I'm just being honest. But this, this you know, step-by-step part that we're going through is telling us something that Job is not over. And let's not also, let's not forget the fact we made this point a week or two ago. We're talking here in real time about a three-hour conversation tops, right? Reading it's going to be slower. Analyzing it's going to be even slower. But we're talking about a, a, a three-hour conversation. So all these thoughts that are swirling in Job's mind, uh, yes, of course, we know that his experience has lasted several months, possibly up to this point. But now, over, over this seven days waiting period, then they start talking. This is just a back and forth, right? It's not like they leave for a couple of days and come back and then he, he rebuts them. No, no, it's, this, this, is just, this is a normal conversation taking place. And so Job, his thoughts are swimming, and they keep on hitting him with stuff, and he responds. And so that's where we're at. And so now we come to this point. It's been messy. It's been ugly. Um, it's been difficult to understand sometimes as far as where Job's emotions are, where his friends are coming from, everything else. And we land here uh, to where I would say we have some hope. And somehow I lost connection again. There you go. Ooh. It's just, it's just fun. Okay, all right. God is my salvation. Okay, it's all right. We just pause here. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this brief but very bright window that we have here. This is the bright spot in Job's life we've been waiting for. It is like Job has hit unexpectedly he was hit unexpectedly by a huge wave, right? We, we, we've possibly experienced that before. Maybe we're at the beach um, and it's like, you know, oh, the waves are coming in. It's kind of fun. All of a sudden this big one hits, right? What happens? It tosses you around. You, you lose your equilibrium. You don't know where you're at. What's up? What's down? Until you kind of settle out. And that's where Job is. He's, he's still in the wash. But it's like he's starting to get his footing. He's starting to understand better what's taking place. And so again, he tells us, he begins by telling his friends just to stop talking. <laughs> I love that part, right? He doesn't see any point or benefit in their conversation. He then said he was going to dare to speak to the Lord, but they are going to be able to listen to his prayer, right? So he's going to speak to God, but he's going to let them be an audience for this. And in verse 14, Job asks himself then, what am I doing risking my life? In Job's mind, his present life is evidence that addressing God directly may actually cost him his life. Now, what's this coming from, right? This is coming from what he has experienced, from what he has observed. But in verse 15, it tells us that even in Job's fear, he declares that he trusts God. Finally. Finally, right? But now what I want to do is I want to look at verses uh, 16 through 18. It says, verses 16 through 18, and it says, He also shall be my salvation. For a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen diligently to my speech, 
And to my declaration with your ears, see now I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. Based upon his integrity, Job declares that God will validate him. He says, God is my salvation. He understands this much about the Lord. A hypocrite could never pass God's judgment. Is Job a hypocrite? Is he living a hypocritical life? Is he living one? Is he saying one thing and, and doing another? No. And so he's entrusting himself to God. So when he says that God will validate me, he means that God will declare him righteous. You know, it's one thing to tell people, you know, hey, listen, I, I'm, my life, I know things are happening to me, but I've examined my life and, and I'm, I'm not seeing where I'm being disobedient to the Lord. That's one thing. But then turn around and say, and by the way, I'm going to turn myself over to God specifically and I'm going to tell, ask him, look at my life. And I know that he's not going to find gross sin in my life. Remember, we're not talking about a sinless person. We're talking about a blameless person. There's a difference. And we've explained that in the past. So even though Job does not know the why behind his circumstances, he rests in the who that is over those circumstances. Folks, this is critical for us, right? We need to keep in mind that at this point, Job has moved past his old beliefs that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But he's still working through the fogginess of testing. Sometimes we continue to keep in mind, I'm sorry, something that we need to keep in mind is that the difference between trials most people experience and what Job experienced is only how extreme and intense they were. In other words, some of the elements that Job experiences, we experience. It happens. Job is struggling because he sees partly through his circumstances. He can't see it all yet. He thinks God is against him, that God is unpredictable, and there is no difference how he treats the righteous and the wicked. Do you remember him saying that? So that's where he's at. But yet at the same time, He's trusting this God that he doesn't fully understand based upon his circumstances. So I have another quote for you from Mr. Ash, and it says this. The system, that's that established system of what people believed at the time, of his friends tells him he must be a secret sinner because he is suffering. He knows this is not true. The evidence of his eyes tell him that God is dangerous, random, and unpredictable. Okay, so we've gone from what his friends have said now to what he's experiencing. And so Ash goes on and says this. The faith in his heart tells him that God is righteous and that he, Job, is a believer who is in the right before God. Knowing the system is not true, and despite the evidence of randomness and danger, Job's decision goes with Job's faith. And this is why he appeals to God. So if you remember what we said before, Job is a, his, his, his um, 
confusion and some of the things that he's saying are still coming from a heart of faith. Not from a heart that says, I don't, I don't have any use for this God anymore. Look at how he's treating me. No, what he's saying is, I don't understand why he's treating me this way. I haven't done anything wrong. He's punishing me, but none of that really matters. When it comes down to it, I don't understand my circumstances, but I know him. And I'm going to keep placing my confidence in him. Wow. Folks, if that's not a bright spot, I don't know what is. And we're not done yet. You can see there's more conversation that's going to take place. And oh, by the way, I can't resist this. It's like, you know, I'm telling you, you can read the book. You know, you know. But Job's friends are going to come before God. And they're going to be found lacking. Job, is, we are told, said things right before God, or about God, but he still needs some refining too. And that's going to take place. Wow. So where does this leave us? What can we take away from God's word this morning? Since Job's character remained consistent, his three friends were then wrong about him. That's the only conclusion that we can come up with. If we don't see a change in Job's character, then what they are saying about him can't be true. So we keep that in mind. Because of that, then, they were also obviously wrong about the Lord because of that and because of what they believed. And so... Since they were wrong about Job and wrong about the Lord, they needed to be confronted. This, this wasn't something that could just pass by. In other words, Job didn't just need to take untruth. So think about it. If Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar had a correct understanding of the Lord, and if they knew firsthand that Job was actually sinning, then their progressive firmness would have been appropriate. Right. In other words, if they were right about their theology and they were right about Job's lifestyle, then for them to continue to press Job in what he supposedly was doing would have been correct. Their warnings and their reminders of the blessings that come from obedience and faithfulness. By the way, they all had those. They all told Job. They all had that carrot. And, and, and some of the words, by the way, were correct. But they all said, if you just change, things will be better, right? If all of that were correct, they would have been very compassionate. They would have been necessary. But they were wrong on both accounts. This serves as both a warning and an instruction for us, folks. This is where we're going to make application of this. We need to speak truthfully about the Lord. We cannot allow the world's wrong views of God to be a part of our belief system. Now, sometimes we grow up into that as something that we need to get rid of. But sometimes it's also resisting some of these messages that are out there in the world. We also cannot insert what we think the Lord should be like to creep into what we say. If 
someone seeks our advice or if we somehow feel like we need to give some advice and we start off with, well, I think that's okay if that's the way God thinks. <laughs> but if it's, I think, and that's not how God thinks, congratulations so far. Bildad, Eliphaz, fill in the blank. What we need to understand is if we fall into this, we are falling into a cultural, situational theology. A belief about God that somehow comes from something or someone other than God himself and his word. And we've got to be careful not to do that. Now, the flip side of that is when we are equipped with that, and, and, and it doesn't mean that we've got to be perfect here, folks. It's, it's one of those things almost like witnessing, right? Well, I might say the wrong thing. Don't, don't handcuff yourself, right? But, but let's not have this be like a free-for-all. Another important truth needs to make an impact in our lives through this. We can trust God in all of our circumstances. Now, that in and of itself might sound extremely simple, right? But it's not. It's simple to say it's difficult to work through, which is why I believe that there's so much press given to Job. It's why the New Testament refers back to him and his endurance. Because he's a, an, an important lesson to us. Um, we have a Bible study, uh, a men's Bible study on Saturday mornings. We're going through a, a book by Jerry Bridges. And uh, I even told the guy, I said, you might see this quote again, because we just recently studied this. But uh, uh, it was it's excellent what Jerry Bridges said about this subject. And he says, the circumstances in which we must trust God often appear irrational and inexplicable. In other words, there's no explanation for it, right? Would you kind of place Job in, in that situation? Right? I, I can't explain what's going on. That's exactly where Job is. Obeying God is worked out in well-defined boundaries of his revealed will. Trusting God, okay, let me, let me back up. That's obedience. This is what God says. This is what I do. This is what God says not to do. This is what I don't do. That's easy. I'm not saying it's easy to obey. I'm saying it's easy to understand. But look at what the next part says. Trusting God is worked out in an arena that has no boundaries. <laughs> in order to trust God, we must always view our adverse circumstances through the eyes of faith, not sense. In other words, not what we observe happening around us. It has to be something deeper, something more substantial. And this is exactly what Job did. No matter what he had gone through or continued to go through, he put his faith in the Lord. Although he was interpreting God wrongly in the chaos of his circumstances, he never lost his trust in the Lord. You think about that. He wasn't exactly right about what was going on. It felt like a punishment. That's how he's interpreting things. He, there was no other explanation to him, inexplicable. But yet it's like, you know what? This can't rule my heart. This can't rule my thinking. I'm still going to place my confidence in him. 
I'm going to present my case before him. Even though he was weak and suffering and confused, he knew deep down that God was a righteous God. Do Job's thoughts resemble your thoughts when you face or have faced the storms of life? When you wonder what God is doing or if he's even there. I mean, I could give you multiple cross-references to David about so many times. He's like, you know, Lord, where are you? Are you listening to me? It's a very cold day outside. It's very cold. The reality is the world that we live in can be a very cold place emotionally and spiritually. Job is an example to us to choose faith over our experiences. The folks who were at ease were looking at Job and they're saying, buddy, you got a problem. Job was saying, I've got a problem. <laughs> I am not at ease. But even though I don't fully understand what's going on, I don't know what God is doing, I am going to place my confidence in him. He was not free from his circumstances, but he was free from being enslaved by them. I can't impress upon us more how important that is. Again, we've got to be careful. We can't champion our cause when we know that we've been offensive to God. That doesn't work. But when we have been leading a consistent life, not a perfect life, but a consistent life, and something comes along, we have to ask ourselves, okay, is this a punishment or is this a trial? Is this something to test me? We've, we've identified Job still had some things to learn. And I imagine even after all these experiences that were written down, he was still a man who was learning. But this was an extreme test for a man of extreme faith. And God very deliberately, and you could almost say violently, right, allowed some experiences in his life so that he was able to shed these wrong ideas and grow closer to him. Uh, you say, wait, 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 Job? Job needed it to grow? Yeah. Let's not forget what Paul said. I haven't arrived yet. So even though he was a blameless man, even though he, he says here, I've, I'm having this active relationship with God himself, right? When all of this came into his life, he still needed refining. even though he didn't understand exactly what was happening. He could not deny who God was. Why? Because he was a righteous man. And so that's where we are in the middle of our conversation. That's where we are in the, kind of in the middle of the book here. Really kind of a third. But, but as we move forward, let's hang on to this. Because Job has now revealed to us his heart of hearts. 
He's a man of faith. He's struggling, but he's a man of faith. And let's also not let this become a guilt trip for us where it's like, you know, man, I haven't measured up here, right? No, it's an encouragement to do what he did. There's, there's some instructions here. There's, there's some ways that we can and should respond, even we don't understand everything, so that we do gain from God's testing and we glorify him through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've seen some rough stuff in this book and some of it was what you allowed and some of it was what his friends just nailed him with. And just like in the first couple of chapters, your word tells us that he did not sin with his mouth. Lord, he's working through some things. He's trying. We can all relate to that in some way and in some situation, that struggle to come to grips with what's happening and somehow tie that into who you are what you're allowing, what we're experiencing and and remembering that you love us and that you're gracious and that you're in control. Father, we thank you that just because we feel out of control does not mean that that that's where you are. And so we thank you for this encouragement. We we really do, we welcome it. (laughs) Partly, it's almost like watching a movie or something like that where where this scene comes in and there's this, oh, we thank you for just this beautiful example of Job's faith. As, as raw and as real as it could possibly be in the face of what he had to deal with. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for his example. And I pray, Lord, that we will gain from his instruction. In Jesus' name, amen.